Good morning. Kia ora, my friend. How are you? It's funny, isn't it? Um, that's, that's getting on for 30 years old, that track. Um, but it's funny how music wow. takes you back to time and place. It does, eh? Where and you some were and what you were up to. very specific places. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Nathan is with us. We're going to be talking about, in parenting today, the incredible development of the human brain, particularly in the early months and years, from a tiny newborn to a walking, talking toddler by around two years old. Some research suggests that there are critical or sensitive periods in early childhood which can impact brain development. What are these windows? And once closed, can they ever be reopened? Nathan Wallace is a neuroscience educator and parenting coach. And Nathan, you're right in your wheelhouse um, yeah, with this one. It. Yeah, I love it. So let's, yeah. let's just remind people uh, of this incredible brain growth. Yep. Uh, and the critical times in the, in those early years. Yeah, I mean, just the actual brain growth, like you said. You go from, what is it, I remember the numbers, 350 grams um, when you're born to about 1,200 grams by the time you're an adult. So rounding that off, you've got about 1,000 grams of brain growth to go from birth to adulthood. Yet by the time you're three, you've reached 1,200 grams. That means you've more than trebled, just about quadrupled your brain size from birth to three. And then from three onwards, it grows bugger all. I mean, this is why three-year-olds have big heads. <laughs> if, you, if you try and put a jersey on a three-year-old, you soon work out their head is disproportionately larger than the rest of the body. And that's what's going on, because from the neck down, a lot of you has turned up since you were three. But from the neck up, bugger all has turned up since you were three. Most of that was already there when you were three. They're also shedding all these these new sort of neural connections, and they're just yep. their brains are fizzing. But they're also shedding quite That's quickly, right. aren't they? Yeah, pruning we call it. So it's like the brain. It's like in human development, you've got a smorgasbord in front of you. In those early years, you decide what you put on your plate. So, like for instance, you've got all of the um, necessary biology to speak any language on the planet. You know, um, if I say to a, a kid that's never, a two-year-old, that's never, ever spoken or heard Te Reo Māori before in their lives, and I say, and they say they're doing exactly as they're told, and I say, say, imitate me and say, kia ora. That two-year-old from anywhere in the world can pretty much say, kia ora. You say to a 30-year-old who's a New Zealander and has had Māori around them, um, you know, say, kia ora, and they'll say, kia ora, because they have pruned away the, you know, there's, oh, linguists say there's about 140 different um, sounds and encased in languages. I mean, it depends who you look at, but some theorists. And that English speaks about 100 of those. So there's about 40 sounds, like the nga in te reo Māori, the, you know, the, the guttural sound of German and the G. Uh, there's certain sounds that aren't present in English. So your brain's born with, say, all of those 140 connections, ready to go and um, or ready to be formed. But your environment decides which ones get myelinated or which ones you experience. It's interesting, isn't it? So that's why kids pick up multiple languages without thinking twice about it. And it's it's hard. You have to concentrate when you're older. You have to reform what once was there. You're using a whole different part of your brain Mm. to learn a language when you're older. I don't know if it's related, but I always love babies' faces because they can go through like 50 different moods and expressions literally in seconds when they're smiling and then they're frowning and looking Absolutely. I mean, that is their language, isn't it? That with their body movements. I don't know if it's attached to the fact that They've got all this crazy stuff going on in their heads, but uh, but there you go. Yeah, we don't consider very often what it must be like to be a newborn baby, eh? To be immersed in an ocean, <laughs> which is then inside the womb. It's got the exact same you know ratios of salt and stuff as the ocean. So you're in an ocean, and then suddenly you're in atmosphere, and there's all these people. And I would think it'd be like going to a new planet where your body's like a spaceship, and you find yourself in a spaceship, but you've got no idea how to fly it. 
So yeah. it takes you about two years to learn how to interact in this brand new world with new language and new laws of physics. And it must be amazing to be a baby. Well, staying with it, there's that wonderful researcher whose name I've forgotten, an anthropologist who talked about why babies are so cute and smile and gaga. And it's because they're helpless. They yeah. really need everyone around them to like Absolutely, them. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. They work, yeah. It, they work it right. Um, let, you, you actually mentioned, you know, being in the womb, and, and this is where the story begins also. I mean, yeah. are, we, are we finding the, the fetus with, um, you know, the forming... Um, baby yep. will be picking up on it could be things like just what hormones you know, stress hormones Absolutely. all these sorts of things yep. yeah mm-hmm. we've known that the baby interacts with the environment in the pregnancy uh, that whole concept of the first thousand days um, you know that starts at conception so it's all about the pregnancy we also know there are critical sensitive periods to your brain development um, you know in the furry tongue or in the womb um, that's not so much my area, you know, area of expertise. It's mm. more about you know postnatal when the baby's born and the critical periods. Well, let's stay with mm. those a thousand years. And mm-hmm. what are those vital moments? There are some obvious ones: attachment and bonding. And I know we've yep. talked previously about the importance of rocking. Every culture right. will yep. rock, yep. and that's actually uh, it's a biological communication in a way, isn't it? Absolutely, that's a good description of a biological communication, and that helps to just calm that whole lower brain and get a steady rhythmic pattern going, which just leaves energy for the upper brain, you know, the frontal cortex where all the good stuff is. So where are the moments, where are those times where things can be missing? For example, early yeah. on, a lack of physical um, communication and, and, and attachment yeah. is an issue, yeah? Well, there's general ones and then there's very specific ones. Like attachment is the one that I've always thought we've been able to reopen. My personal experience is, as a counsellor, as a therapist, is being able to, you know, all therapy is sort of you're taking on the role of the the dyad or the or the mother uh, temporarily, you know, the main parent, and sort of reprogramming them. So I've always thought attachment had was not a very solid shut window, but there's other examples of an ironclad, you know, window of opportunity, or an iron, you know, an iron curtain goes down on that sensitive or critical period. Um, an example, clear example, is vision. So when a baby's born, you know, the vision takes up about 25% of your brain. So in order not to kill mum during childbirth, the, the the brain sort of has a program saying only be born with what's absolutely, absolutely necessary and wait until you're outside before you grow the rest. So a baby's only born seeing about 30 centimetres in front of the face for brief periods of time and only in black and white because all they really need is to find their caregiver. And if you're holding a baby in your arms, it's about 30 centimetres away is where your face is. So that's the only area they need to have clear vision in and they don't need colour. But when you're born, light hits the retina. And that's basically the trigger or the cue from the environment to say, oh, we're out of the womb now. Now we can rapidly grow vision. And vision, you know, most of it is there by the time you're two. So you go from being sort of legally blind to the nearly full vision. I mean, it takes a long time, but basically full by by two. Um, If you are born with, like, cataracts on your eyes, say, and we don't take those cataracts off, so no light, the light doesn't hit the retina in your eye, and we don't take those cataracts off till you're eight months old, traditionally that's meant you remain legally blind for the rest of your life. There's no way to re-trigger that window. You know, in animal experiments, um, they also do it with binocular vision. So, um, you know, where you have to coordinate the two eyes. If you That's a horrible thing. But if you sew up the rat's one eye, and during that critical period, I think they don't open their eyes till six weeks or something, but just for those early years, other side of the early stages, when you sew the eye, even though the retina, none of the eye is damaged and it all functions perfectly normally, you still can't ever get binocular vision again. You know, it pretty much remains blind. So even though we don't fully understand what's going on, we've always known that there are some ironclad sensitive critical periods, and then there's these more open, you know, like I said about attachment, seems to be 
uh, you know, some suggestion that that could be open. So that's a physiological um, development issue. What are other yep. some of the the, the the key emotional or psychological? For example, empathy, the, the, the that ability yep. to understand that what you do affects others. That's a fairly critical stage pre three as well, or to start it anyway, is it not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's sort of connected to what they call social reward. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I mean, maybe there is, but I'm not fully aware of exactly empathy research being a critical period okay. that we talk about. But we talk about um, stages of social reward and early social reward. So caring what other people think and wanting to be a social person, which is the basis of empathy. You know, that's what empathy is, putting yourself into someone else's shoes. So, yeah, we've known that they, certainly by four, a lot of people would say by three, if you haven't had that... Um, Socialization doesn't have to be with peers; it can be with the, um, you know, adults. But there is a period where you need to have a relationship with the child, basically, and interact with them and teach them about social reward, um, and you know, by giving them positive attention when they do positive behaviours. And if a child's just locked in a cupboard and neglected, they don't learn about that. And then what we see is that they have developmental problems the rest of their life because there's this critical period for learning about social reward. What are some of the others then that are looking like they are locked? The the, the blindness, the cataracts, um, not being well. Um, hearing, hearing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a funny area because hearing requires visual input. There's nothing in the inner ear that allows you to know where you are spatially. So um, it requires visual input. So if you're blind, that has an impact on your hearing as well. Um, yeah, and also again with the binocular eyes, you've got to have sort of binocular ears as well. You have to be able to coordinate where you are in space and time and take sounds coming in from different sides to let you know, you know, your sense of where you are. Um, yeah, that has a critical period as well. They're all sort of happening about before the age of four or five, these um, critical periods around, you know, um, physiology. And can they be reversed if there's been neglect or any other hardship? Well, that's the exciting question because, no, for the longest time we thought, no, they couldn't. Um, you know, like, we're sort of living in the area or the age or the era of neuroplasticity now. But even at the start of my career, 30 years ago, um, we didn't think there was much neuroplasticity. We knew that if someone had a stroke and they lost language, they can regain language, so there's some neuroplasticity. Newborn babies born with only half a brain have way better outcomes than an adult where you would surgically remove half of their brain. Um, so we knew there was neuroplasticity in infancy and a response to brain trauma like a stroke, but essentially it wasn't there the rest of the time. Um... Yeah, and that's really changed. We're now living, there was a 2019 article in Nature um, that looked at being able to reopen these sensitive critical periods. Uh, they were looking around the use of oxytocin, that's a hormone we associate with, or a neurotransmitter associated with um, attachment. You know, when you look into a baby, or even a photo of a baby, and you go, <laughs> that's oxytocin, basically. Bonding chemical, they Yeah, to yeah, call that's it. right. Mm. That seemed to, she discovered then that that had a role in reopening. That one we talked about, the, the social reward, that um, but the oxytocin played a role in reopening that window. But um, a lot of the research now is around psychedelics. You know, it's a really interesting time to live in, in terms of what's happening with psychedelic research. So what more are you? I know we've spoken to some Auckland University researchers who are involved in this, but probably more with the, um, uh, you know, I'm not sure, the the particular relationship yep. to, what would we call it, um, childhood deficiencies or childhood yeah. ne- neglect? What yep. what promise is being shown? Um, is it well, the I mean, ability? Uh, because it's, it's that ability to sort of break with 
immediate reality and patterns, right? Is that what the underlying yeah. kind of commonality is? It is, but it's also like on a physiological level, they, they call it meta-plasticity. Like, you know, plasticity is the brain's ability to adapt. Meta is the ability to bring about the conditions of plasticity in the brain. So she was showing that oxytocin, um, I don't know if it's she actually, Nardo, was showing that um, oxytocin plays a role in reopening the, the biology, the, the meta-plasticity. Um, it brings about the conditions of metaplasticity which allow oxytocin to be picked up again. Wow. Um, so it's two steps. And, yeah. and, and first you've got to, um, you've literally got to open a pathway, you've got to unblock a pathway. That's right. You sort of got to, that's what metaplasticity is, this ability to get the brain ready. Like, for instance, cocaine is wonderful for your metaplasticity, but it doesn't reopen critical periods. Whereas um, just about all of the other psychedelics, um, MDMA, ketamine, LSD... DMT, um, psilocybin, all of them um, reopen critical periods. I mean, this is just now going into press now. So that first article on social reward was 2019, but the current 2024 article that's in press now by the same um, researcher, Nordeau et al., you know, other ones as well, um, is showing that all of those uh, reopen critical periods. And actually, the longer the effect of the psychedelic, the longer the window is open. Where are we at then with this? Because obviously all of those are illegal drugs of different classes currently. And anyway, yeah. if you are using them in drugs for therapeutic purposes, it pays it's, to be doing them with people yeah, who know what they're very, very about. different than going on a trip, you know, the, yeah. than people taking a bunch of mushrooms. Exactly. And going on so very, so, very so where are we at? Is there actual sort of clinical research going on and with a view oh, to the specific... Is. It's a Therapy. huge area growing mm. of research. There's so much research going on now, and I think those laws will change. You know, those laws come down in 1960 with um, President Nixon's you know, war on drugs, or the late 60s, whatever it was, but they, le- they made them all illegal. Before that, we were already seeing these research results. And then you just see, you know, what, maybe 60 years of seeing nothing about it. Um, uh, and then now that the research has come back, um, you are, because lots of states made drugs legal, that opened up the possibility to start that research again. And now we're seeing real credible mainstream researchers going, actually, this is probably the key. You know, like is, it, is it happening in conjunction with therapy? So as you say, the first step yes. is to unblock yes. the plumbing, which, is, right. the, um, which yeah. is the psychedelic. Yeah. And then, so and then say, that though, opportunity has to be used somehow. Yeah. I mean, it is going to be the experience of people that are using it for drugs, right? Um, you know, addiction's a whole different issue. But if someone takes cocaine, they are going to bring about the conditions of metaplasticity. But it's just that if you don't have the therapy, you probably don't use those. You're just happy chasing imaginary fairies. You know, like you're not necessarily going to be self-guided into the therapeutic application of that that plasticity. So I think... Um, well, the yeah, next therapy. question is how long, and I know speaking to our um, earlier guests on the research that's happening, there's still yeah. a sense that, um, in this country anyway, there will be the usual process. Clinical trials, the this, the they're well everywhere, but you can still access it in Australia now, legally. Mm. So, you know, Accessing the therapy actually will be as much yeah. of a challenge, possibly, as accessing yeah, right. the... Well, you tend to get them both at the same time. Mm. But you what know, I'm saying is we, 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 we struggle with, as I'm sure you appreciate, yeah. um, sufficient therapists for any number of needs. That's right. I mean, yeah. this could actually be the answer to that, because, you know, one <laughs> dose of um, psilocybin um, cures the symptoms of depression for one year. You know, ketamine... Um, ketamine and its actual effects only last for half an hour to two hours, whereas um, you know the other ones last, like MDMA, is three to six hours, and LSD and mushrooms and stuff, three to six hours. What's the one they use for alcohol? Ibogaine? Ibogaine? For alcohol addiction? That seems to last like 72 hours. The longer that the actual trip lasts, 
the more neuroplasticity it brings about. Mm. So if you have ketamine, you've got to go back to every week to take a dose of ketamine in order to deal with, I think they use it for anxiety. Whereas, like I say, um, magic mushrooms or psilocybin is um, one year. Um, Again, and the other one, ibuprofen, is seen to cure heroin addiction. And you go on one ibuprofen um, trip, which lasts three days, and that's a clinical setting, and a lot of those people are healed of heroin addiction. In the case of fixing what was broke from those early yeah. years, the therapy, as we, we can't stress enough, the therapy has to happen in conjunction. The, yeah. uh, the psychedelic opens the road, and then, and yeah. then the therapy has to happen. Um, if nothing else, Nathan, it can give people hope, can't it? That, that, can. that, that stuff they're carrying and have been carrying that, that we might hopefully be closer to mm. the kinds of treatments and therapies because Absolutely. it's the cruelest of cruelties isn't it where yeah. through no fault of your own and perhaps potentially no fault of your family no. really important stuff didn't happen or bad right. stuff happened and, yep. and you're stuck with it and as a therapist, you would deal with people over a year, two years, and you're trying to unpack all that and use narrative therapy to give them a coherent life story and to have self-love. And, you know, the idea that um, you can work in conjunction with a therapist who can give them one three-hour session, which basically catapults them into, you know, worth two to five years' worth of narrative therapy, that's exciting. Mm. We, want, we want people to get to the other side of that, that trauma. Nathan, thank you. Fascinating as always. Nathan Wallace, neuroscience educator and parenting coach.